I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health and fitness industry to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. We've got a first today. I'm Leanne Spencer, your host, by the way, if you don't already recognize my voice. And if my voice is new to you, well, welcome to the show. I hope you're going to really enjoy this. Take a listen back through our archive and certainly gear yourself up for a cracking episode if this is your first. I'm interviewing Shan Nix-Jones. Now, fans of the podcast will know that we interviewed Shan back in November. She's the owner of Chuckling Goat, a business that makes goat milk kefir and kefir-based products for skin, for gut health, for autoimmune conditions. It's an incredibly vibrant and exciting business, actually, and we've partnered with them for quite a while. I drink the kefir every day myself. I wear their skin products, the creams, and use the soaps. And we've recorded a two-parter here, and I wanted to get Shan back on the show because she's just published a new book called The Kefir Solution, Natural Healing for IBS, Depression, and Anxiety. And in part one of this of this episode, we talk about gut health, and she uses the brilliant analogy of Yellowstone Park in the US. So tune in and listen on to hear more about that. We talk about what she calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four things that cause damage to our guts. We also cover off ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen, and how she combines that to make sure she has good gut health. And we talk a bit about the kefir as well, which is her product. And we have a code for you. So if at the end of this, you want to try that kefir, and I really urge you to do that, the code is BODYSHOT15. That will get you 15% off the goat milk kefir products. So that's worth about six pounds. And I really recommend you try these products. They're incredible. It's going to be part of my morning routine now forevermore is having a small glass of this before breakfast. So I hope you enjoy this episode. What I would suggest is go back and listen to the podcast that I did with Shan back in November. We'll link to it in the show notes. Listen to that first because it gives you a lot of background about Shan. She isn't a Welsh farmer, even though she is now a Welsh farmer. She actually started off as an American talk show host with over a million listeners a night. And she came over here and and she talks about the full story in the first episode, which we put out in November. So I'll link to that in the show notes. If you've already listened to that, crack on with this episode. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Shan, welcome back to the show. First time I've said that, you're our first repeating guest. It's lovely to be back. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm really looking forward to this. Congratulations on book number five. Am I right? Is it number five? It is number five, yes. I found something you wrote a long time ago called Wildcatting when you were still Shan Nix. So yeah, okay, I'm glad I've got that right. I've asked people in the intro to listen back to our first episode where we talked a lot about your story, we talked a lot about the kefir, but I think it would be really great for you to give us an update. Now, what is it you do? I can see you're speaking to me from the farm. Mm -hmm. Tell us a a bit of a picture about what you do and what goes on there. So we're here on the farm. It's a beautiful place. We're looking out over the Irish Ocean We have a ton of barn cats that work to keep the rat and mice population down because anytime you've got animals and feed, you've also got rats and mice. And so we use the cats to keep that all in balance. Mm. I learned a lot about ecosystems and the way ecosystems work from living here on the farm. We have a beautiful compost heap. So we keep goats. We muck out the goats and the dom goes onto the compost heap. It gets rotted down, goes out into our ancient hay fields. We don't use any pesticides. We just have those gorgeous, you know, old fields bringing the nutrients up from those deep roots. Lots of different kinds of meadow flowers and things in the hay. The goats get to wander down in our 24 acres and have their sort of medicinal buffet. You know, they're out there in the woodlands. Goats do self-medicate. 
they will eat what they need. They will eat willow bark. They love to have the bark of the trees and so on. So we're just in a big, happy, flourishing ecosystem here. Yeah, amazing. And your product is a goat milk kefir primarily, isn't it? But you've got a lotion, you've got soaps as well. We're going to talk a lot more about the benefits of that. But has anything changed since we last spoke in November? Are they the primary products? Well, since November, we've moved into our new building. So we've had pretty explosive growth here as people get the word about kefir and start to understand what it can do for them. Mm. We've had a 6,000% increase in business. Jeez. So we've built a new building. We're in there now. We have new packing facilities, new bottling facilities. Everything is out of my kitchen, which is nice. Yeah. It started on the kitchen table and now like a baby, you know, it's now in its own building, which is great. So it started out with just myself and my husband, and now we have a team of 20 people working here. So it's a busy place. Yeah, terrific. Now, when I met you, I think it was something like 60,000 customers from 28 countries. Mm-hmm. It's 127,000 customers now from 37 countries. Wow. And that's since November. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. So how many goats have you got? 70, is it? 70 goats? Yeah, we've got 70 goats. Yeah. Right. Producing that much kefir. No, we do bring in milk from other places as well, because on 24 acres, there's simply no way that we could run enough goats to produce enough milk to handle that kind of increase. So we milk our own goats. We also were very proud to work with St. Helens Dairy. They're Red Tractor certified, good people there. So we bring in milk to supplement as well. Yeah, brilliant. So it's actually, it's creating a little booming economy in your local area as well for goat milk. Terrific. Well, I'll say now before we get stuck into it, I've been consuming this product for every day sometimes double dosing. So it's a small, it's such a poor analogy, but it's a 175 mil, isn't it? Which is a mm-hmm. medium sized glass of wine. I know it's a yeah. terrible analogy, but <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's all good. We like our wine here too. Well, yeah, to give people an idea of this quantity. So sometimes I take that much, sometimes twice. And I did it primarily for, well, for gut health because I was having bloating to a degree, but gas, particularly belching after food. And it has pretty much gone both my partner and I consume it every day and I won't stop either because I just think it's a cracking way to start the day and I'm not saying this because I'm talking to you Shandy because anyone that knows me or listens to this podcast will know that I go on quite I actually once said I talk about chuckling goat more than body shop performance (laughs) we love that well yeah but I had to address that balance (laughs) okay (laughs) so we understand a little bit about what you do but why did you write this particular book so it's called the kefir solution natural healing for IBS depression and anxiety and this has literally just been published by Shan and you can get it on Amazon and all the places where you can buy books and I really recommend it to people but what was the motivation behind writing book number five? Well I was working on skin so what I found was that if your gut microbiome is disrupted that is going to map onto your skin it's going to look like eczema psoriasis rosacea or acne and that if you actually drink the kefir as well as applying it to the skin in the forms of soaps and lotions you can get amazing results, particularly eczema, which is an autoimmune condition. Hmm. So that was my focus. That's what I was doing. Now, as I was coaching customers through this process, and we don't sell through any outside retailers, we only sell direct to the end user because it's important for me that I'm in direct contact with the client through that process. Natural healing is a bumpy up and down road. I don't know Hmm. if your experience reflected this, but it's not always straightforward. You can go up and down, you can detox, you can flare. It can be one step forward, two steps back. It is not like suppressing a symptom with a chemical, which Mm. is what we usually do. That can happen instantly and it's temporary. What natural healing is bumping up and down. So I wanted to be in direct contact with the clients. As I was in contact with them, they were coming back to me and saying, hey, my IBS has disappeared. And I went, all right, well, that's interesting, but it's not my focus. 
And then they came back and said, hey, I'm feeling really calm and really happy. I was like, okay, great, but still not my focus. I'm focused on skin. I finally got so much of this feedback from clients that I went, okay, I'll bite. I'm a journalist at heart. I'm interested. Why are we seeing this result with the IBS, which was entirely outside the result that I was looking for? And I went looking for the science and I found it. (laughs) Turns out that your gut and your brain are connected. They all work together because of something called serotonin inside your system. And that to resolve your IBS will also resolve anxiety and depression. And you can enter that loop at any point. Hmm. If you have IBS, chances are excellent that you will develop anxiety and depression within the year. There's a certain amount of logic to that. You know, IBS is a depressing disorder. It's stressful. It's not very nice to have. So you could see getting depressed around it. But the really weird part is that if you have anxiety and or depression, chances are also excellent that you will develop IBS within the year. It works both ways. Wow. And so when I started to unpick that science, I thought, whoa, I've never heard that before. I don't think people understand the way that that all fits together. In fact, you can enter that feedback loop at either point. It's obviously easier to treat your gut than it is to treat your brain, but all of those issues resolve together. Mm. Now, since we spoke in November, I've interviewed a number of other experts, most of whom have challenged me on the assumption that the brain is the command and control center and said that the gut is not even the second brain, but arguably the first. But you've mentioned in the book, use the analogy of Yellowstone Park, which I'd loved, and it's very easy to latch onto to understand what a complex kind of ecosystem the gut is. Can you talk us through that analogy? Yeah, well, this is an American story. I love it. So I'm an American. This is the story I like to tell. The basic premise is that inside your gut, there are all these trillions of bacteria. And I like to imagine them in a natural ecosystem. And in fact, that's not a metaphor. It is really a natural ecosystem in there. They are fighting, breeding, competing for space and so on. So that's really how it works. And like any natural ecosystem, it follows certain natural ecosystem rules. So here's how we can picture this. In America, in the late 1800s, there was a place called Yellowstone, which was so beautiful and naturally diverse that they thought we need to set it apart as a park so that everyone can enjoy it forever. Great. The only problem with Yellowstone is that there were wolves in the park. And as everyone knows, wolves are terrible, horrible, nightmare creatures, and we got to get rid of all the wolves because it's just not safe. So fine, they let everyone into the park to kill the wolves. Tourists, administrators, everyone given a gun, shot the wolves. And in 1927, they killed the last wolf in Yellowstone. Great, happy days. Now we can really start to enjoy the park. Except there was a little problem. Once the wolves were all gone, the elk population in the park went crazy and started over multiplying and started over consuming the willow which grew on the banks of the river. Now the beaver used the willow to build their dams. And once the willow was gone, the beaver started to disappear. And once the beaver were gone, there were no more nice still pools for the fish and the fish started to die. And then the birds that ate the fish started to die. And then the plants that were spread by the seeds that the birds were spreading started to die. And the microbes that cling to the roots of the plants started to die. And Yellowstone began to turn into a desert. So the administrators of the park were not unaware of what was going on. They could see there was a problem and they even figured out what the problem was. So they started to try to cull the elk. But here's the thing, human beings do not hunt elk in the same way, the same time, the same animals that wolves do. 
They just don't do the same job as the wolves. And so they managed to actually stop the damage from increasing, but they didn't manage to really bring the park back to its pristine beauty. So in 1995, 70 years later, they decided to bring the wolves back into Yellowstone. Now, you can imagine what a controversial decision that was. I can't even believe that they managed to pull that off, but they did. And they put the wolves back into Yellowstone. And sure enough, the wolves came in, they started to cull the elk, the elk population came down into balance, and the willow came back, and the beaver came back, and the fish came back, and the birds came back, and the plants came back, and the seeds came back, and the microbes in the soil measurably came back. And Yellowstone bloomed again. Now, just to be perfectly clear about the point of this story, reintroducing the wolves affected the microbes in the soil. Mm -hmm. And that is what we call a trophic cascade. Trophic means food and cascade means it's an event that starts at the top and works its way all the way down the ecosystem chain, impacting you in ways that you cannot possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. Because as human beings, our brains are not smart enough to foresee all these possibilities working through this chain. So that is what happens to your system when you take antibiotics. In a nutshell, you kill the wolves in Yellowstone, but you don't just kill the wolves. You affect everything else in that microbiome system as well. And you can have a trophic cascade that leads to ongoing autoimmune illness, IBS, anxiety, depression forever. It doesn't fix itself unless you put those good bugs back in. Do we know how quickly the antibiotics have that devastating effect, that cascading but devastating effect? That's really how long is a piece of string. You know, everyone's microbiome is as unique as their fingerprint. So you have your microbiome from your parents. It's been impacted by whatever happens to you. I like to call them the four horsemen of the gut apocalypse. Those Mm. are the things that impact an ecosystem inside the gut. And they are sugar, stress, antibiotics, and environmental toxins. And who among us is not impacted by those things? So how your microbiome was to start out with, what happened to you after that, how many courses of antibiotics you've had, how your diet is, do you live in a polluted area? I mean, you said earlier, you know, you take kefir every day. I take kefir every day. I live out in the, you know, this beautiful farmland. However, my microbiome, just as much as anyone else's, is being attacked every day. You know, the four horsemen of the gut apocalypse, that's just modern life, baby. You know, that's how we live. Show me someone who is not impacted by stress these days or someone who doesn't have some level of environmental pollution around. You know, you can try to be ever so pure, but I mean, we're breathing it in every day. There's antibiotics in the groundwater, even if you're not taking them from the doctor. There's antibiotics in the food chain. So your microbiome is being attacked every single day by those four horsemen. And drinking kefir is a way to push back against that. So you're actually preemptively doing some good so that that attack won't eventually knock your microbiome down. Yeah, brilliant. I love the analogy. And I think that hopefully makes it quite clear for people, you know, what kind of devastating, but conversely positive effects we can have by introducing new things into our guts. Let's talk about this four horsemen. Sugar has been quite... We understand now that sugar isn't great for us, but what does it really do when we consume it to the gut? You know, the lady who did the studies on this actually dropped glucose on worms and the worms died. 
She said, if you had seen what I have seen, you would never eat sugar again. It is absolutely like pouring bleach into the river. It kills all the fish. And the fish in this system are your immune system. And once you kill off those, you're feeding the bad army. So you are killing off the good bugs and you are feeding the bad bugs. This is where you see candida, SIBO overgrowth, things like that. Candida is like the elk in the Yellowstone analogy. There's nothing wrong with candida. Candida's present in your system all the time. Everybody's got candida. It's like an elk, lovely animal, nothing wrong with it. The problem comes when the wolves are gone and the elk overpopulate. The problem comes when the predator bugs that keep the candida in check are gone and then the candida overpopulates. That's the problem. And the answer is not to go and kill off all the candida. The answer is to bring it all back into balance. It's not about killing things off. It's about bringing balance and harmony back into the system. How do we know when we've got balance and harmony in the system? What's that feel like? Well, your system sings. Your skin is clear. Your hair is shiny. You eat what you want. Your stomach doesn't hurt you. You don't have pain in your joints, you have a lot of energy, you feel good. Mm. You know, and if you haven't felt good for a long time, I can tell you that it's out there and it's possible and you can feel good. I'm talking these days about rewilding your gut. And I really love that idea that Yeah, I love that as well. Rewilding. Modern life is just ironing us out and it's sort of getting rid of all the biodiversity in our systems. The health of an ecosystem is tested and measured by the number of links between the organisms in it. That's the health of an organism. It's complex. Nature is complex. Now, I'm not talking about, if you imagine, you know, a seed, a field of just rape, for example. It's monoculture, you know, same thing, on and on, forevermore. That's not the ecosystem I'm talking about because that's one kind of organism. And if a predator comes in, it will absolutely mow that down. That's why they have to use so many chemicals. A complex ecosystem has all these different links in it between the organisms, and it is therefore safe and defended because if a bacteria comes in one way, it'll meet this opposition. Comes in another way, it'll meet this opposition. It can't mow down the whole ecosystem. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. So human beings tend to try to do monoculture and keep everything very simple and flat and ironed out. Nature is complex, and you need that biodiverse complexity both in the planet around you and in your own gut. So rewilding your gut will improve your health. No, I love that expression as well. I read somewhere that we actually eat a very, very tiny range of foods, both in terms of macronutrients and then the particular type of food, that people are eating the same kind of stuff. When you touch in the book, you know, go out to, I can't remember which part of it is, but you encourage people to go out into a supermarket and buy as many different textures and colors and quirky types of vegetables as they possibly can. And a good thing to do actually for that is sign up for a vegetable delivery service, mm-hmm. preferably one that comes straight from the farm where they just pull up what's good to go. So you can't say, yeah. I want a squash, I want a tomato, I want a pepper. You get what's good to come out the ground. Because when I got into this whole health business six years ago, I went to a service called Local Greens. It's a London service, but I'm sure they'll have them in other areas. And you, you order a medium or a small with or without potatoes, veg bag each week. And it's dropped to a local pub. And I was picking things out thinking, what is that? <laughs> so I was having to fix the tail was wagging the dog. I was having to think, well, I don't know what that is, but I'll Google it or I'll ask my mum and she'll tell me and then I'll do something with it. 
And, and thus you discover a new vegetable and something to do with it. Yes. So get a food delivery service and don't tell them what you want. So give me a medium-sized veg box every week and figure out what to do with the contents. You know what? That is such a great point. I'd really like to emphasize it. You get things like the low FODMAP diet, you know, when people are trying to deal with a painful issue. And if you have IBS, you know, life is not fun. You just wanted to stop hurting so you can eat something, which I completely understand. But what happens is people start eliminating things from their diet and you eliminate down until like all you're eating is salmon and lettuce. And there is not a lot of joy there. It's very deprived. So you know, that's pretty bad on its own, but it has a larger impact. And the larger impact is what we're trying to do here is create this powerful biodiverse ecosystem with all this complexity in it. The kefir puts those bacteria into your gut, but then they're living organisms. You have to feed them and they all eat different things, which is why you need a variety of different micro and macronutrients. So the low FODMAP diet is a temporary fix. You may stop your symptoms, but you will never recover the full health. You will never rewild your gut by reducing, reducing, reducing down. It's a process of adding, not reducing. You got to put the bacteria in there and then you got to feed them. And at the Taymount Clinic where they pay people who have healthy microbiomes to donate. And then we're talking about fecal transplant here. When people say, oh, I don't like kefir. I don't like the way it tastes. I say, listen, sweetheart, the next step down is fecal transplant. Okay. So that focuses the mind. <laughs> you think the kefir is difficult. Okay. But trust me, it's better than the alternative. Yeah. But the healthy donors that they pay at the Taymont Clinic eat 50 different foods in a week. Five, oh. 50. Right. 50. Now, how many foods in a week do you eat? I mean, I try, really, I don't get to 50, but that should be our goal. So that's what we're shooting for. We're shooting for rewilding our gut until we have full gut health and full micro macronutrient diet, 50 foods a week. That's a goal to shoot for. That is a cracking call to action for anyone listening to this podcast. I am going to take that challenge on. So we're coming to Wales next week. We're missing you, unfortunately, but we are hoping to get a tour of the farm. We'll pick up on that offline. I'm going to take on that challenge of trying to eat 50 different foods. I don't know how many we eat. I don't think it's 50, I'll be honest. And I do think I eat healthily. Well, we don't think about it much, really. Nobody ever says to you, eat as many different kinds of foods as you can Mm. possibly think of. So I would love to hear you challenge on that. And please let me know how you get on. I will. Well, tell you what, we'll do a daily Facebook update and we'll tag you in. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll do that. So I'm going to commit now. We will start. This is going out on Wednesday the 8th. We will start on Saturday the 11th of August. And for and our Body Shop Performance Limited is our Facebook page. So you can jump on there. And whilst we're talking about that, actually, Chuckling Goat, if you put that into Facebook, you'll also find Shan's site. But we'll go through all the links at the end. Okay, cool. So 50 different foods in a week. That is my challenge and anyone listening. And of course, keep us updated on how you're getting on. I'll issue that challenge, a formal clarion Kai on, on Facebook. Nice. Perfect. Let's talk about the other three horsemen before we move on. Stress. What effect does stress have on our guts? Well, so when you're stressed, something called cortisol is dumped into your system. And cortisol has a very damaging effect. Now, the way that we're designed to work is that cortisol creates a temporary surge in adrenaline, which does things like sharpen your eyesight, dries your mouth, puts blood into the large muscles in your arms and legs and makes you good to go. You know, that's your fight or flight. Obviously, if that happens over time in a chronic sort of way, and it happens when you're stuck in a traffic jam and there's no saber-toothed tiger to wrestle there, what it does eventually is just start to degrade your system. 
it really, really damages your system. You can think about it like a tsunami wave sweeping through your little forest inside your microbiome and knocking all those little critters off their perches. So it's really, really important to have some ways to deal with stress. Now, one of the things, I know we were going to talk about this later, ashwagandha is something that I suggest, which is an adaptogenic herb. And it actually, there's a a lot of good science around it. It reduces the amount of cortisol in your system. Mm -hmm. It is crazy. (laughs) It's a powder. It doesn't taste very good. You can take it in a capsule or a tincture. I prefer to take the powder itself because I like it as close as possible to the actual form of the plant, the original plant, but I don't mind things that taste bad. You mix a teaspoon of that into milk, oat, goat, or almonds is what I recommend. And you take that for three weeks and I swear something will happen and you'll just go, huh, here's what we're going to do about that. You know, you just don't freak out. It's amazing. Ashwagandha has fantastic benefits for anxiety and depression. And it's just good for lowering the level of inflammation in your system. The idea here is that we're just trying to bring the inflammation down. And that's the point of all the suggestions, the recipes, the tips, and so on in the book. We're trying to calm everything down so that your gut can heal. And ashwagandha is it's a really powerful tool for that. Okay. When do you take it? Once a day? Well, I'll tell you what I do with mine. I make a superfood latte. And I love this. I take collagen, which is another thing that I recommend in the book. The lining of your gut is only one cell thick, is, gets ripped and torn. You start to slow down your collagen production at age 25. And by 50, huh, me, I have stopped altogether by now. So it's important that you take collagen, important that you take it every day. And the older you get, the more important it is that you're having collagen every day. So I used to do bone broth, real life check-in. I'm not going to make them drink bone broth every day. It's just not going to happen. So I now recommend a collagen powder that you can mix into a hot or cold drink. So then I've got my collagen, I've got my ashwagandha. What am I going to do? I make my superfood latte with my coffee and my goat's milk. So I put a teaspoon of ashwagandha and a tablespoon of collagen and some raw cacao. Mix that up into a little paste. And then I make my goat's milk latte on top of that. I mean, does it taste fantastic? I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't taste the best, but it's kind of bitter and I'm used to the bitter taste of it. And I put some MCT oil on top of that. Mm -hmm. Love it. I mean, that will keep me feeling full and energized for a long time. Sort of between meals, I'll have that. Okay. Also a top tip for people, when you're having coffee, it's important that you do not have coffee first thing in the morning. And here's why. Your circadian rhythms work in such a way that your body produces its own cortisol in the morning naturally to wake you up. It raises cortisol. Cortisol is an important thing. It's not like a bad thing. Again, in its place, working as it's supposed to, it's absolutely critical. It raises your blood pressure, your heartbeat, and so on, bringing you from sleep to wake. And the light triggers that effect. Now, if on top of your own natural surge of cortisol, you then drink coffee, you are going to actually produce an effect in which you get accustomed to the coffee and you're going to have to have more and more of it every time. You know, when that, like the coffee kind of makes you sleepy and the other way around. So don't have your coffee at your cortisol high points. Like when you first wake up, wait until you wake up and then you dip a little bit. You know, that around 11 o'clock when you sort of start to slow down a little bit, save your coffee hit for when you dip. And then again, after lunch, when you have that two o'clock surge, and if you do that, you won't create too much of an accustomed habit with your coffee. Yeah, great tip. Okay, so coffee around 11 o'clock, a few hours after waking, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Just not right off the bat. Yeah, brilliant. What I do is I start the day, both Antonio and I start the day with 
I want seven my milk kefir. About 15 minutes later, I have a coffee, but I have decaf. Yeah. So it's not going to have that same effect. And that's how we kick off the day. So it starts with the kefir. So I remember you saying to me, you've got to give it 10, 15 minutes to get in there and, and mm-hmm. do a bit of work before you slosh something like a caffeine or, or something else down there. So, okay, so that's stress. Antibiotics, I think we've touched on. I think it's quite well known now that they raise it. But antibiotics, to reinforce your point, don't just treat the affected area. They will raise everything. So one of my clients came back from the, the doctors and was given antibiotics. And it sounds like, you know, that's probably not a bad shout for what she's got. But there's no talk about putting in some probiotics afterwards to repair some of the damage. No talk of anything else. So I've recommended the kefir to her so that she can start to repopulate. But, you know, we need to at least get into a place where antibiotics are given out at a very last resort in conjunction with a probiotic. And a probiotic, as I understand it, feeds the good stuff. Probiotics bring in new bacteria prebiotics feed those bacteria is that correct mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's right yeah you know i'm not a crank about this antibiotics can be lifesavers and in the right circumstances they're important and thank goodness we have them mm. however we have gotten into a situation where i mean for example there's a study that shows that doctors prescribe more antibiotics the later it gets in the day really is later it gets in the in the working yeah. day there was a yeah. similar study done about when was best to have a trial if you were looking for a parole review. And they found yeah. that in the morning, if you had a morning trial, you had a better chance of getting parole than you did in the afternoon. Or, yeah. or more lenient sentencing. They're tired and they yeah. want to shut you up and they give you antibiotics to make you quiet and go away. So really, you need to think hard and long about taking antibiotics. And the question that I ask when I go to the doctor, I mean, it's been a long time now. Actually, it's been a long time since I was ill, since anyone on the farm was ill, because we're sort of doing this all the time and our immune systems are pretty boosted. But I say to the doctor, would you prescribe this for your child in this circumstance? And you ask them that question and you will get a different answer. Mm. The thing is, then if you absolutely have to take the antibiotic, okay, you take the antibiotic in France, in Germany, in Poland, you finish a course of antibiotics, you take probiotics. And they're shocked that we don't do the same. And it is, they think it's irresponsible, and they're right. It is. You don't just go spraying Agent Orange over the forest and killing everything off and then not replace it. Mm. But take the antibiotic if you must. Be sure that you absolutely need it. Don't take it for a virus. It doesn't work on viruses. Mm. You know, make sure that it's appropriate and that you're in at the right level of force. And then fix it. Now, you can take Kiefer while you're taking an antibiotic. I'm often asked that. It does buffer your system a bit during the process itself. And then as soon as you know it stops, the kefir will start really doing its work again and sort of putting all those good bugs back in there. Do the damage, but repair the damage, please. I, mean, I read somewhere that the best things you can do for actually the, well, the people with the healthiest guts are gardeners. They live in the country and they have a dog. Yes. Just to your point that you don't really get over very much. You're out there in the countryside, you're subjected, you're surrounded by animals any farm isn't 100%. I know that the, you know, you've got white areas and where the kefir is prepared, it's meticulously clean and tidy, but it's a farm. It's a working farm. So you've got mud, you've got everything else around you, and it's not hyper-sterilized, is it, except in certain areas where I know yes. it is. You're right. The dairy is, they wear hair nets and white coats, and it is super sterile in there. But I remember. Well, I wasn't allowed in there either with my no. everyday clothing <laughs> and my everyday I'm not shoes. even allowed in there, believe me. <laughs> and quite right. Okay, cool. Last one, the environmental toxins. So I guess we're talking about things like pollution. You know, what other kind of things are we talking about with environmental toxins? 
Well, we're talking about the kind of things we often find in our personal care products and in our household cleaners, I'm sorry to say. Mm. There, something called triclosan is often found in hand wash and in toothpaste mm-hmm. and in a lot of things that you would be shocked. I mean, I really strongly suggest everybody, if you've got liquid hand soap, go and pick it up and look at the back of it. And if it says triclosan on there, throw it straight in the bin. This stuff has been banned in the EU in terms of food stuff. They used to use it in foods. They don't in foods anymore. It's been banned, but it's still in personal care products. So we're putting it on our skin. Your skin is absorbent like a sponge. Anything you put on your skin, you're going to suck straight into your insides. So there's an awful lot of cosmetics that have horrific chemicals in them. The average woman hosts 515 chemicals by the time she leaves the bathroom in the morning. Oh my God. You know, the shower gel, the shampoo, the conditioner, the deodorant, the makeup, the whole, I mean, it's a horrific Mm. uh, bouquet of poisonous things that Mm. we're putting on our bodies. A lot of those chemicals then leach into your system and they actually alter your DNA. They alter your DNA. Okay. Mm. And then your cells no longer recognize one another and they turn on each other as enemies. And that is autoimmune. Yeah. Literally your immune system is turning on itself because it doesn't recognize its own cells because it has been altered. Yeah. DNA has been changed by the chemical leach. So please go through your bathroom cabinet and look at the chemical. If you can't pronounce it, don't put it on your skin. So triclosan is what we're looking for. Now, that was in your most recent book, wasn't it? You talked about that, which I also read a few weeks ago. And I went straight to our toothpaste and replaced it with one that doesn't contain it. I didn't know about that. I've stopped using deodorant a couple of years ago. When you're hot, you're hot. Deodorant or not, if someone's hot and sweaty and on a tube in this weather, you're going to smell them a little bit. And actually, your skin adapts. It adapts to not having deodorant on it. And I'll leave it for the people around me to make a call as to whether that was wise or not. But I am not spraying deodorant on my underarms. And that's it. There are some natural options, I will say, that aren't harmful. There are a lot of natural choices. If you go looking for things that don't have harmful chemicals, and what you're looking for is you no phthalates. That's kind of a funny word, phthalates. No petrochemicals, no parabens, no perfume, no dye, no color. Okay, so those are the things you want to avoid. And there's loads of nice natural products out there that, like essential oils, for example, which is what we put in our soaps and lotions, smell divine. They smell beautiful. Mm. Lavender and rosemary, there's nothing better smelling than that. So you don't need artificial chemicals that will harm your system. There are perfectly good natural alternatives out there. Yeah. So what I've done now, I don't have a deodorant. I use your goat milk kefir lavender. I think it's called Calm, Calm Down. Calm Down, Mm -hmm. yeah. We use that on skin and hair. Yep. I suddenly thought, well, why not wash your hair with it as well? And Antonia makes an essential oil combination for our skin. And that's where we're at now. The, Great. I do put an extensive amount of chemical laden hairspray and putty onto my hair to get it staying up like this. But I'm not <laughs> so bothered about that. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Well, you've got to do what you've got to do. When you've got a haircut like this, it's, it's got to have a bit of lift. I could probably dig around and find some better products, and I am doing that. But I don't mind that, you know, two products, and that's it. You know, the toothpaste and everything else is good. But, okay, and we're obviously we're talking about other things. I want to move on a little bit now, but talk about other things like pollution, the area you live in, some things you can control and some you can't. I'd love to be out in the country not chugging this thick London air, but it's best endeavours, isn't it? I think it's important to let people know that as well. You know, if, even if you cut down 
the moisturizer you put on your face twice a day and you cut that back to a natural oil or using your soaps and lotions, which I strongly mm. recommend people look at. That's a big start. And then you can chip away from there. It's a big start. I mean, I think it's important not to get overwhelmed, too. Yeah. We're, we're big fans on the farm of the 80-20. You know, try to be good 80% of the time. And then maybe you pick your things. You know, for you, it's the hair wax. Yeah. So, you know, great. Go with it and go, right, I'm willing to give up this, this, and this, but this I'm going to stick with. Yeah. That's fine and fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. If you're interested in taking part in our 50 Foods in 7 Days Challenge, then jump onto our Facebook page, which is Body Shot Performance limited and you can take part in the challenge it kicks off first thing on monday 20th so whenever you wake up and it finishes last thing before bed on sunday the 26th so it's a full week and the challenge is simple try to eat 50 different foods in that seven day period so if you're up for it the facebook page is body shot performance limited and just keep an eye out on monday 20th where we'll kick off the challenge with a video and you'll be able to contribute at the end of that or as you go with how many foods you've eaten that day just by putting a comment onto the post on Facebook. So we hope to see you there. All the best. <laughs>